So this is Yom Kippur, and today we're going to be looking at Lesson 79 of Matthew, the parable of the sheep and the goats, because it is a parable about this very day. So let's start with chapter 25 and verse 31. It reads this way, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And so, if you remember, last week we looked at a parable of the ten virgins. And it started out, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. And what we found out, it's about the reward that's handed out in the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't about salvation. All the ten virgins were part of the kingdom. They were saved, filled with the Spirit. But still five went to the wedding supper and five did not. It was about reward. It wasn't about who was in the kingdom of heaven or whether this sin or that sin kept you out of the kingdom of heaven. It was about the reward that was handed out to those who were part of the kingdom of heaven and what they did with the great salvation that God had given them. This week we have something quite different. Notice it does not say the kingdom of heaven is like, but what it says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory... Well, let me just say that the Son of Man is the judge. And He is also the Messiah Yeshua. And we all know that. He's coming, it says, with His angels. And if we look at the book of Jude, He's going to tell us something about this judge and some of those who are going to be with Him. Jude, in quoting the book of Enoch, says this, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone. And so here we're told he's coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. And so the point I want to make is that this is not about judging members of Yeshua's kingdom. They're with him. This is the final judgment. This is Yom Kippur. It's a shadow of the final judgment. And he's saying he's going to gather the nations before him. In other words, these are the ones who are going to be left after the plagues, after the wrath of God is over. The survivors of the time of Jacob's trouble, the birth pangs of the Messiah. These are the same survivors that are spoken of in Zechariah 14, 16. They're about to be judged. This is the day of judgment. And on this day, Yeshua divides the survivors of the nations. Now the passage is not without its problems. Granted. It says the survivors of the nations seem to be judged not by whether they know Yeshua or not, but again by their good deeds. And that's a huge problem for most. And I'm not going to go into that problem today because there isn't enough time to cover everything I want to cover. So please understand that's not what I'm getting at. But today I'm interested in the text as it relates to Yom Kippur. The other problem is this with this text is it's really too, too plainly stated to be a real parable. It's so plainly stated. And with all of these problems, and with a few others we'll talk about later, let's just continue on. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, 
take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. And when I was in prison, you came to visit me. And so those on the right are the blessed of the Father. And they're going into the messianic age that's coming to the earth with Messiah Yeshua and the Holy Ones. Now the reason they're going in is because they displayed the attributes of Yeshua. The attributes of God, the kindness, the mercy of God. In other words, they had good deeds. They lived lives as Yeshua. And when they, when they saw the hungry, they fed them. When they saw the homeless, they helped them. And clothed those who needed clothing. Cared for the sick. These are good people. Do they know Yeshua? Well, the text doesn't say these people, anything about these people, except they display these good deeds. In fact, it would seem that they don't know Yeshua. I believe personally that they do, but it would seem that way from reading the text if you were just someone reading the text. Verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And so who are these people? Well, we don't know a whole lot about them except that they displayed the attributes of Yeshua. And so I think they came to faith in Yeshua. The other possibility, because that's the other possibility, and we can't ignore it, that these are those who accepted Yeshua during the time of Jacob's trouble. Support for this is they're called sheep. Sheep are followers, right? The one thing we do know with little doubt is that they are not the ones who were changed in the twinkling of an eye. Because they're not changed. They're the nations of the earth. They didn't meet Yeshua in the air. You know something, what people fail to realize, I'm never, uh, I'm always surprised that they don't realize this, something about the Messianic age. There's going to be normal people living here. There's going to be normal people on the earth, and there's going to be glorified people, like Yeshua, and the holy ones that he comes with. Zechariah just speaks of these people as survivors. Isaiah tells us something about them too. In chapter 65, verse 20, he says, Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies of a hundred will be thought a mere youth. And he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And no longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant, and others eat their food. You see, there's going to be people on the earth who are going to live really long lives, actually. They're going to be sinners on the earth. He says, he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. A sinner who's cursed by God. And so the point here is that these people are the survivors of the birth pangs. And because they displayed the attributes of Yeshua, they're going into this messianic age. And that's what we know for sure from the text. And I think, like I said, that we can infer that those, these are those who found Yeshua during this time of Jacob's trouble because 
They're called sheep followers. Another thing that's interesting, it says, and I find this really interesting, they didn't have a clue as to why they're going to receive this great reward. Yeshua has to tell them it is because they loved and treated people as he loved and treated people. The other problem with this text is trying to define what Yeshua means, what you did for the least of these brothers of mine. Because he hasn't singled out anybody here. What does he mean by the least of these brothers you, you did for me? Who are the least of these? Well, there's theories all over the place. You can do, almost every commentary you pick up is going to say something different. They range from, these are the disciples. Others say, these are ministers of the gospel. And these people are those who help those people. Well, I like that one. But I don't buy that one. Others say it's the Jewish people because it says brothers of mine. Well, that could be referring to Jewish people, but it could just as easily be referring to all the righteous because we've been made sons of God through Yeshua and we're brothers as well. And so I tend to agree with the latter, but those on the right enter the kingdom, not those on the left. Let's see what happens to those guys. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink and I was a stranger and you did not invite me in and I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger needing clothes, or sick in prison, and did not help. And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so the reward for those on the left, if you can call it a reward, is that they same, suffer the same fate as all the adversaries of God. And the reason is they did not display the attributes of Yeshua. Or we could venture to say that these are those who did not accept Yeshua during the birth pangs of Messiah, although it's not stated. And again, I'm only speaking of the possibilities here. There's not enough info to really give to to nail everything down. But another thing... The points to this are the goats, as, the, as these people are goats and not sheep, and so they're not followers. Goats tend to be very stubborn. So, but I want, the point I want to make now is that we understand this a little bit, is this is a perfect passage for Yom Kippur. Because we have something very similar displayed for us in the temple on Yom Kippur. Let's go to Leviticus 16, the reading for today. Verses 8 through 10. It says, He is to cast lots for two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot for the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Now, the first thing you have to understand about this passage that you can't see in English is that the word for scapegoat here is actually Azazel. 
And the other thing you need to understand about it is that it should never have been translated scapegoat. The word as it's used here is used as a proper name. And it is a term, as we're going to see, used of a demon that inhabits the wilderness. The fact is, if you read an Orthodox Jewish, Jewish Bible, it doesn't even say scapegoat. It says Azazel with a capital A because it's a proper name. Azazel is a word that's used here and nowhere else in the Bible. And so for our definition, we're going to have to move outside the Bible a little bit to Jewish tradition, to some of the ancient writings, to see what the word meant to the writers of the Bible and so forth. Let's look at a few Jewish traditions concerning Azazel and see if we can figure out what this is all about. First, let's look at an article from the Jewish Encyclopedia. Actually, Encyclopedia Judaica. It says, the great majority of moderns regard Azazel as a personal name of a demon thought to live in the wilderness. The name of a demon that inhabits the wilderness. Isn't that fascinating? It doesn't say scapegoat. It says it's talking about the name of a demon that inhabits the wilderness. As we progress, we're going to see that this demon is going to take on some very familiar characteristics as well. Listen to what the Jewish Encyclopedia says. Azazel, the name of a supernatural being mentioned in connection with the ritual of the Day of Atonement. After Satan, for whom he was in some degree a preparation, Azazel enjoys the distinction of being one of the most mysterious extra-human characters in sacred literature. So both encyclopedias say that Azazel is a proper name, and it's a proper name of an evil character. Now, I want you to think about something. Who else is very mysterious character in the Bible that we know very little about him? Let me uh, give you a, a suggestion. Perhaps the false messiah. He's a very mysterious character. Let's look at some of the things noted in Jewish tradition about this guy, and then we're going to start to see he indeed does look like the false messiah. This is from Legends of the Jews by Lewis Ginsburg. Azazel began to devise finery and ornaments by which women allure men. So in numerous works that you read, Azazel led mankind into sexual immorality. Who leads men and women into sexual immorality? Well, we do a good job on our own, but it all began somewhere, right? Began with the ruler of this present evil age. Let's read a little farther in Legends of the Jews. Then the earth complained about the impious evildoers, but the fallen angels continued to corrupt mankind. Azazel taught men how to make slaughtering knives, arms, shields. He showed them metals and how to work them, armlets, and all sorts of trinkets, the use of rouge for the eyes and how to beautify the eyelids and how to ornament themselves with the rarest and most precious of jewels and all sorts of paints. And so Azazel taught men how to make war against each other, murder one another. He taught them how to make weapons of destruction. But that's not all. Let's read again, this time from the Jewish Encyclopedia. Azazel is represented in the book of Enoch. As the leader of the rebellious giants in the time preceding the flood, he taught men the art of warfare, of making swords, knives, shields, Women, the art of deception by ornamenting the body, dyeing the hair, painting the face and eyebrows, and also revealed to the people the secrets of witchcraft and corrupted their manners, leading them into wickedness and impurity. 
And so according to the book of Enoch, which we just read a portion from there, it was quoted in the book of Jude, and was written well before the first century, Azazel was around at the time of the flood and was responsible for the corruption that occurred before the flood that caused the earth to be destroyed. And not only that, he taught people witchcraft and led them into wickedness and impurity, taught them to kill, and was the cause of the wickedness of the flood. And what does Yeshua say? He says, as it was in the days of the Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So this guy is really sounding like a real no-goodnik, right? But now that we have an idea of who he is, let's look at another extra-biblical character. Actually, he's a biblical character because uh, Paul, uh, Shaul speaks about him. But let's look what's written about this guy in the book of Jubilees. Again, written well before the first century. In the book of Jubilees, Belial is like Satan, the accuser and father of all idolatrous nations. Let not the spirit of Belial rule over them to accuse them before thee. Belial is an arch fiend from whom emanate the seven spirits of seduction that enter a man at his birth. He will, like Azazel in Enoch, be opposed and bound by the Messiah and cast into the fire forever. And so here in the article about Belial, what does it say? He's equated with Enoch. Jubilees calls him Belial. Enoch calls him Azazel. And so they suffer the same fate too. Because as we're going to see, they're one and the same. Only the name has been changed. Jubilees, he's Belial. And in Enoch, he's Azazel. And the word Belial now comes from two words, which mean without yoke. In other words, without restraint. Without Torah, without law, the rabbis teach that the yoke of God is the Torah because he keeps you walking in a straight path. And so we learn that Belial is the one without Torah, without law. He's the lawless one that Paul will speak of again. Now, this is a word that appears in our Bibles, and I'm just going to read from the Jewish Encyclopedia, and then I'll read the words of Shaul as well. In Christian thought, Belial descends from heaven. Belial is the seducer who is the pseudo-Messiah. The false Messiah. Now listen to what Shaul says of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. And what accord hath Messiah with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You see, Belial is the false Messiah. Belial is the one without Torah. He's the lawless one, and he is the same as Azazel. The book of Enoch just calls him Azazel, and Jubilees just calls him Belial. Why would he have two different names? Well, how about the Messiah? Does he have many names? He's the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Elect One, the Arm of the Lord, the Branch of the Lord, the Prophet like Moses, and so on. We could go on and on and on. Well, the adversary of God copies everything that God does. And so the false Messiah has many names too. He's the false Messiah, he's Belial, he's Azazel, he's the lawless one, he's the beast, and we could go on and on with him too. The adversary does nothing original, but he always perverts what God does. Belial is the lawless one. 
And who is the lawless one? Well, let's read what Shaul says about this, 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The lawless one is the false messiah. He's the one who has rejected the law of God. He's the lawless one. And his followers are lawless as well. We could say he's the Torahless one because the Torah is the law. So next time someone tells you that the law is no more, pause for a moment and just think about this verse and then see if you still think that. Let's look at Azazel in the book of Enoch, chapter 54, 1 through 6. And we're going to find Azazel again. And strangely enough, not only does he look like the false messiah in this passage, but he suffers the same fate. Then I looked and turned to another face of the earth, and I saw there a deep valley burning with fire. And they were bringing kings and potentates and throwing them into the deep valley. And my eyes saw their chains. They were making them into fetters of immense weight. And so we get here a description of what we call hell. It's a deep valley burning, Gehenna, a place where the wicked are taken and thrown into this deep valley. And I want you to notice they're going to be, as I said, I want you to keep this in mind, they're thrown down into a deep valley. That's their fate. And this is the place where the false messiah is. This is the place of Azazel. Listen to what, as we go on. And I asked the angel of peace who was going with me, saying, for whom are these imprisonment chains being prepared and he said to me these are being prepared for the armies of azazel this place we're reading about is the place where azazel and his armies or his servants are going to be taken on the day of the lord more specifically yom kippur and notice it's not just for azazel but it's for his armies as well the armies of azazel are the wicked those who have done his bidding on this earth the best definition for the wicked are those who fight against God. And they are the armies of Azazel. Let's read a little farther. In order that they may cast them into the abyss of complete condemnation as the Lord of the spirits has commanded it, that they shall cover their jaws with rocky stones. Then Michael and Raphael and Gabriel and Penuel themselves shall seize them on the great day of judgment. And what is the great day of judgment? Hey, today, it's Yom Kippur, the great day of judgment. This abyss and the payment for their deception and their help in leading the people astray, this is their payment. And notice that they're covered with rocky stones. I want you to remember that when we look at what happens to the goat in Leviticus, because we're going back to him. It goes on to say, and then into the furnace of fire that is burning that day so the Lord of the spirits may take vengeance on them to account for their oppressive deeds which they performed as messengers of Hasatan leading astray those who dwell upon the earth. And so Azazel is a nasty fellow. Not a good guy. And what happens to him is he's thrown into this fire but not just him, all that followed him. His armies, they suffer the same fate as he does. And the other thing to note here is the same fate as the goats. 
one of the, said of the goats in Yeshua's parable. Now, there is a character in our Bible who gets thrown into the fire. Let's look at see if we can find out. Revelation 20. And he threw them into a bottomless pit and locked and sealed it over them to keep them from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Sounds like the writers of Revelation and the writers of Enoch, the writer of Revelation and the writer of Enoch were getting their story from much the same source. This speaks of the false messiah. He's put into a bottomless pit for the same reasons Azazel is cast into a deep valley. And I want to go back to Enoch for just a minute. 55, Enoch 55, it says, When I would give consent so that they would be seized by the hands of the angels on the day of tribulation and pain, already I would cause my punishment and my wrath to abide upon them, my punishment and my wrath as the Lord of the spirits, kings, potentates, dwellers on the earth, you would have to see my elect one. On the day of tribulation and pain, just another name for the day of the Lord, uh, Yom Kippur, it's going to happen on this day, very much like today, on a Yom Kippur. This is a Torah picture of that day. Just a little bit farther. And you would have to see my elect one, how he sits on the throne of glory and judges Azazel and all of his company and his armies in the name of the Lord of the Spirits. And so what we have here is a picture. Azazel is a demon who inhabits the wilderness. And if he isn't the false messiah, he's got to be his twin. Because he's responsible for the same things. He suffers the same fate. He's judged by the Messiah. He's thrown into a stony pit. So let's look at our verse again on these goats. He is to cast lots for two goats, one for the Lord and one for Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat for which... The lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. We've got two goats being selected here and they're identical. And they're stood before the priest and he draws lots. One lot is written for the Lord and the other is written for Azazel. Now, the goat for the Lord, of course, he's taken into the slaughtering area. He's slaughtered. His blood is caught. That blood is taken into the Holy of Holies. The goat's blood or the life is taken into the Holy of Holies and presented before the throne. He's the goat for the Lord. The other goat, the one for Azazel, he's taken out into the wilderness and he's set free, right? Wrong. That's what Christian tradition will tell you. Christian, and that, that, this is a Christian Bible, and that's why it says, let it go in the wilderness. They make this go to shadow of the Messiah, taking our sins into the wilderness and being let go. The problem is, there's nothing in the text, there's nothing in ancient tradition that would indicate that at all, that he's let go. Azazel is not a scapegoat, he's a demon. The text doesn't say the goat is Azazel, it says the goat goes to Azazel. Even the occultists know that. They have a church called the Church of Azazel. The problem comes in with this phrase, let it go. 
The phrase is actually the Hebrew word shalak, and in most instances, it means to send. It's the root word for, a, for a apostle, a sent one, to send. Where it says, let it go, it should say, send it to the wilderness. In fact, a Hebrew Bible will say, send it to Azazel, because it is the goat for Azazel. There's nothing in the Hebrew that would indicate that it is let go. It just says, send it to Azazel. And that's exactly what happened to the goat. It was sent to the wilderness with priests appointed to the task, and it was cast down off of a high cliff against the rocks below. I want to read a quote from the Targum. This is the, this is the Aramaic translation of the Bible written, written well before the first century, read in the synagogues on every Sabbath day because... Aramaic was the language of many of the people of Israel. And just like we read for Spanish for the Spanish people, they read the Aramaic for the Aramaic speakers. This is what it says. This is what they actually did. The goat on which the lot for Azazel fell shall be sent alive before the Lord to make atonement for the sinfulness of the people of the house of Israel to be sent to die in a rough, stony place. And I put a picture up here for you. This is what happened. This is an artist's rendering of what happened to the goat for Azazel. It comes from a Jewish book that's attempting to restore the temple services and actually is a set of books that's going to be used to train the priest for the new temple. And look what they do to the goat. They push it off a cliff and it's dashed against the jagged rocks below. The Talmud says that it was dismembered as it fell. Now I want you to think about this. What would have happened to a goat that was pushed off of this cliff and dashed against the rocks below? What would have happened to it in a little while? Well, the vultures would have gathered, the foxes, the scavengers would have gathered, and they would have had a feast on this goat, right? With that in mind, let's go to Ezekiel and see what happens to this nasty fellow we've been talking about. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say... This is the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you and bring you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right, and you shall fall on the mountains of Israel you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you, I will give you to the birds of prey every sort of beast of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God, and I will send fire on Magog and those who live in security in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And so what God tells us what's going to happen to the false messiah and the rest of his horde. And it's the same thing that happens to Azazel and his armies. Let's look at Ezekiel again in, in verse... Uh, and notice we get some other terms for the false messiah there too. Let's go to Ezekiel 29, verse 3. Speak and say, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O monster who lies in the midst of his rivers who has said, my river is my own, I made it for myself, but I will put hooks in your jaws and I will cause the fish of your rivers to stick to your scales and I will bring you out of the midst of your rivers and all the fish 
of the rivers will stick to your scales and I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all of the fish of your rivers and you shall fall in the open field and you shall not be picked up or gathered. I give you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the heavens. And so again, we see the same thing. We see some other titles for the Messiah. Gog, Pharaoh, monster that lies in the river. We could say Leviathan. All of these things have one thing in common. They have this thing in common, the same thing in common as the goat for Azazel in the service of Yom Kippur. They become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You know there are going to be two feasts at the end of days. The Bible speaks of two feasts. First there's the one we talked about last week. The one Yeshua spoke of, the wedding supper of the Lamb. He says many will come on that day and sit down with a feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, the other feast that's spoken of in the Bible is the one we just read, the Feast of Leviathan. These two feasts have one major difference. At one, you sit with the Messiah and the rest of the righteous of the 6,000 years. You sit at this great feast with the Messiah at the head of the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The other feast, the Feast of Leviathan, you don't sit and eat. At a great feast, you are the great feast. The birds of the air and the beasts of the field are going to be doing the eating. And so what we have here in Matthew is the goats are sent to eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in the service of the festival of Yom Kippur, we see the goats sent to the place of Azazel. Yom Kippur is the same event that Yeshua is describing in the parable of the sheep and the goats where he judges the earth. But this is really the short of the uh, version of Yom Kippur. If you want to learn more, you can go to our website, go to the teachings on the Feast of the Lord, and you can get the whole full meal deal there. All right? Let's bring the worship team up.